0: Right on the Nail with Chris Wright. Hi, I'm Chris Wright, and welcome to Right on the Nail. Each week, I'm joined by those in the know to discuss politics, media, business, sports, entertainment, and lots more. This week, we have a fantastic lineup for our deep dive episode. The episode this week, the deep dive, is on the Olympics. You might say it's a deep dive a la Tom Daly, but no, it's a deep dive into everything relating to the Olympics and what we feel of what's happened so far and what the key issues are. Joining me today are Hannah Wilkes, tennis writer and editor, Dr Peter Olusogu, senior lecturer in psychology, David McDade, journalist on BBC Scotland's The Nine and former Olympic sports reporter for BBC Sport, and Alex Bellotti. News Features writer at the Daily Mirror. It's great to have you all here. Right on the Nail with Chris Wright. Now, where should we start with the Olympics? There was initially some concern as to whether they should be taking place at all. Are we all happy at this point that it was the right decision for the Olympics to go ahead? Alex, what do you think?
1: There's always a slight kind of cognitive dissonance with uh, sports fans, isn't there, where as soon as it gets on the way uh everyone's happy but yeah there were a lot of issues in the build-up to it um obviously the covid pandemic delayed it by a year and cost it billions um and the debts have been mounting up even more i think it was originally estimated to be about a two billion pound budget and it's now could be as much as 25 billion so it's been a huge cost to japan and not being popular with the uh, with any of Uh, The residents there really, I think 80% of them didn't want it to happen and you can understand why when there's been so much human cost of the pandemic and that's where the money should really be focused. Should we
0: bring Hannah in? And Do you get the feeling that the Japanese public are warming to it now?
2: Uh, It's so difficult to get a sense of how the Japanese public feel about it when you're watching it on TV because, of course, there are minimal crowds or no crowds. Um, I do think uh, Alex's point about the kind of uh, the sort of Olympics effect where there's always kind of um, sort of scandals and controversies and issues in the run up to it uh, and then once it starts we all kind of get swept up in it, is I do think that's a really good point. My sense is that that is not happening with this Olympics in the same way that it has with, uh, with previous Olympics. Um, I think that the fact that we're seeing the we're seeing really the the strain that the toll that competing in in this in these unusual circumstances is taking on the athletes so clearly, I think is is quite it, it does not feel like business as usual. It does not feel like an Olympics as usual, um, and just empty stadiums. It's so difficult to kind of get a sense of of how the Japanese people are feeling about it.
0: David, what do you think about? empty stadiums and sports like this taking place in this environment? Yeah, well, it's not ideal, is it? Because um,
3: fans really make sport as well as the athletes, don't they? Um, you, you want to hear the roar of the crowd when the likes of hopefully Dean Asher Smiths running down the back straight of the, the 200 or 100 metres, don't you? Um, yeah, it's a big miss not having the crowd there. Uh, but these a lot of these athletes now have been, have been used to this sort of environment. In fact, um, Tom Dean, the, the double Olympic champion now, uh, swimmer, his mother was, uh, I heard an interview with him, and she said that a lot of them are used to this environment now over the last six months to nine months. And so um, they, they, they perhaps don't notice it as much as we do watching. So while it while it is a big miss, undoubtedly, you know, the, the atmosphere is what what makes these things special. I think the athletes are there to do a job and they're very focused on
0: that, whether there's a crowd there or not. Yeah, that's true. I mean, an athlete is there to do his job and he's going to do his best regardless. But some of the some of the scenes are uh, slightly strange. I mean, for example, I find it quite quite strange seeing swimmers that with naked torsos and wearing masks on TV. It sort of it, it reminds you that these are not normal times. Peter, would you would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a very different Olympics to the ones that we're we're used to watching. I mean, I'm am an Olympics fan, so I'm I'm loving getting to see all of the different sports and these athletes competing. It's what they've been working towards for for the last four years and even longer. Um, but you know, I think a few people have already mentioned the the impact that the empty stadiums and the lack of fans is having on some of these athletes, and it's going to affect them very differently. So some athletes absolutely will be used to competing without fans there uh, and uh, under those circumstances, some athletes are finding it very difficult. We've already heard from uh, Jade Jones, for example, was saying she's very used to having her friends and family there and being able to look up and see them. And that's a huge source of support for her. So for some athletes, they'll be really missing that. But for some athletes, it will just be, you know, business as usual, get on with the job in hand.
0: Quite quite aside from uh, the family and friends being in the stands and looking up to see... To see their support, what's the experience like for the athletes in general, living in wherever they're living in, in the Olympic Village? I think normally with with uh, the Olympics, there's a huge coming together of human beings and people, you know, getting getting on with each other, meeting people. Are we seeing any instances where people are getting like homesick or or maybe maybe bored with without the usual sort of razzmatazz which which uh, accompanies them?
4: Peter, you... well, well, again, I think there will be there will be an element of that. You know, the Olympic Games is famous for that coming together of athletes from all these different nations and getting to experience different sports, and they'll go and watch and support each other. Uh, so, in some ways, it will be very different. But again, we have to remember that these are highly trained athletes who are very, very focused on the job that they are there to do. They will have been well prepared for this eventuality the pandemic's been going on for you know a year and a half now so they'll know that this is a situation that they're going into they'll be absolutely prepared and focused on exactly what it is that they need to do yes there'll be some elements of kind of missing the the uh, the bigger picture and the camaraderie that's that, that's sometimes associated with with things like this um but but they'll be focused on what they need to do
0: sure but but alex when your event's over there's normally an opportunity to you know maybe have a few drinks or whatever you do when 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 the job's done you've either got your medal or you haven't got your medal and uh, do we know what's happening you know with athletes when when their particular sports finished are they getting the first plane home or are they able to to stick around and enjoy the rest of the experience
1: usually in the games I, I wrote a piece about some of the things they get up to after the um, events are over I don't remember I don't know if you remember the pictures of Usain Bolt having a party after uh, the London 2012 Olympics, it's usually uh, a very kind of communal atmosphere where they can get up to um, all sorts. And obviously there is a kind of pressure on the athletes to behave responsibly this time. Um, They've been warned not to um, kind of mingle and, you know, keep things like social distancing where possible. But in the end of the day, they're human beings, and they've been starved of contact uh, as much as the rest of us. So when you're all in a village like that together, there's always going to be, I suppose, a temptation uh, to to try and mingle a bit and probably stretch the rules.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's nothing wrong with celebrating after your victory, and you know, unless you've got another another you know another sport to compete in the next day. Hannah. What do you feel about the the coverage that that we're getting from the BBC then?
2: Well, obviously, uh, the Olympics coverage situation has changed uh, quite dramatically this year in that the BBC no longer have the full rights uh, because Discovery, who owns Eurosport, um, have the rights to broadcast the Olympics. So the BBC is limited to showing um, two events at any one time. So that has led to a lot of, well, a lot of complaints, I think, from people who are used to being able to just hit the red button and choose from, you know, 27 different events all live streamed simultaneously. Whereas if you want that kind of coverage now, you have to use a subscription service. Um, so I think that that's been the sort of, main uh keynote of people's reaction to the coverage uh that i've heard is just people not being really fully aware that the that the bbc no longer uh, that the bbc no longer has the full rights um just kind of what a shame it is that that comprehensive olympic coverage is is no longer available on on a free to air channel yeah i think people are kind of quite blindsided by that and and a bit upset
0: well sports rights are sports rights and they're expensive and and, um, you know, whether it's Premier League football or rugby or cricket or whatever, everybody has a right to bid for them. And unfortunately, the rights owners do tend to sell them to, you know, whatever happens to be the best deal around. And if that's the best deal and the most money and the BBC are a bit strapped for cash with the licence fee, then really there's not much we can do about it. And frankly, you know, had they paid more and had more and had more rights, They'd have probably got pummeled in the newspapers anyway for, for spending as much money on it. So, in a way, you can't win. But are you saying, Hannah, that you know, if we got a subscription to Discovery, or even could we get more more of the events on Eurosport than we're getting on the BBC?
2: Uh, yes, I mean I don't want to sound like I'm in any way um, shilling for shilling for Discovery, but it is just a fact that if you subscribe to the Eurosport player, which I have done for many years just for tennis services, um, they do have the they do have live streams of basically all the Olympic events um, available live. Uh, but they have also had um, some, you know, there's been some because it's the first time they've ever had comprehensive degree of coverage Uh, there have been complaints about sound about mixed up commentary tracks i think some people have been watching you know dressage and getting audio of tennis so basically it kind of there's no uh, and i think there were some quite intense complaints about some commentary on the uh team gb women's football where the commentator's who I think were provided by the Central Olympic broadcasters as opposed to Eurosport, but the commentators didn't seem to know the names of some of the players and stuff. So, I mean, I, I absolutely do agree with what you're saying, that, um, you know, sport, uh, the rights holders do have, you know, a perfect right to sell the rights to the highest bidder. But um, at the same time, like, I think there's a huge opportunity missed to grow the Olympics, to, to have people... Um, participate be inspired to kind of potentially inspire the next generation of athletes if you're you know that is just the trade-off that you make when you're putting content behind a paywall is that you are not going to reach as many people um, and I, I do think that's a bit of a shame
0: well I, I agree because uh, you know it, it is a trade-off but I think it's important for, for all sport to, to be seen by as many people as possible because that broadens your market and if you broaden your market then the next time you, you're coming around to doing a deal your rights are going to be more valuable if you if you play to a smaller market you diminish the value of your rights unfortunately but we're seeing other we're seeing other things happening that the broadcasters are having a, to adapt to do like for example uh, if we've got an athlete that's got a very good chance of winning the uh, the coverage seems to include, you know, footage from family and relations in in their hometown, even if it might be three or four o'clock in the morning, to give us that that vital moment of uh, celebration. I mean, it, is that something that's working? Would you say, David?
3: I think so. And if you come back to the example of Tom Dean, I think the pictures that you might be alluding to his friends and family um, back home and and the banks the River Thames watching his his race at half past two in the morning and going absolutely crazy when he when he tipped um, to, to end for gold and th- those are p- those are things that also make the Olympics and that goes back to again the, the fans not being able to be in the stadium and you know from my own experience working for, for the BBC at, at events like Olympic Games and Commonwealth Games etc you know the, the family at the events plays such a big part of the story and uh, clearly on the ground in Tokyo we don't have access to that so it's very important that we do make efforts to to, to get those angles, um, you know, to tell the stories of the families and and how they are are going through emotionally, and you know, watching their their sons, daughters, friends, you know, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, um, competing on the biggest stage. But yeah, I, I think it's it's so important to tell those stories, and I think that um, it's it's been
0: managed as best that it can be yeah I think you're right. I think it's 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 very difficult. I know some of the reporters aren't aren't in tokyo it's It's very difficult. Peter, from your standpoint, before we move on to some of the more the other issues, just in terms of the sport, what for you has been the highlight of the game so far?
4: I think undoubtedly for me, it was seeing Tom Daley finally win his gold medal. Uh, he's worked so hard for such a long time. And I remember seeing him as a 14-year-old competing in his first Olympics uh, and just the journey that he's been on to culminate on on finally winning that Olympic gold medal and seeing just what it meant to him was absolutely the moment of the game so far for me.
0: Yeah, and it was, a, it was an amazing performance. I mean, I, I wouldn't be an expert on judging diving, but you could tell it was <laughs> pretty damn brilliant how good it was. Would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I'm no expert on diving, but uh, it was a, a pretty spectacular and pretty special performance from both of them.
0: And Hannah, as as a as a tennis writer, what what was your take on Naomi Osaka and and in more generally what what happened to her earlier the season and and she was like the you know major focal point of the Olympics going into it. And she got knocked out, you know, pretty early on. Was it even in the first round? What do you think is happening with Naomi Osaka?
2: As you say, she was absolutely the the face of these games um, in Japan, and in many ways, the the pressure on the pressure on Naomi Osaka coming into these games was extraordinary. Um, I, I think it's comparable to kind of the, the pressure that Jessica Ennis Hill was under um, as the face of the London 2012 Games and a, and a home Olympics. And um, I think the, the pressure had obviously only heightened because of the events of the past few months with Naomi Osaka, where she withdrew from the French Open due to, due to kind of uh, concerns over her mental health and then didn't play Wimbledon. So in many ways, it was a kind of perfect storm of, of sort of terrible things for Osaka. Like she hadn't she hadn't played for a few months, which you know didn't have like a lot of match fitness coming in, which made her vulnerable to to being upset. Um, she also had this tremendous pressure on her. And the conditions in Tokyo have not been have not been great. The players have really been struggling with the heat and humidity. There have been many complaints from the players about the fact that matches have been scheduled for the heat of the day instead of um, being scheduled later in the day uh, when it's cooler um, and so organisers have in fact relatively now started scheduling matches later in the day for that reason and if you, uh, you take all of that and add in an inspired opponent on the day I mean Marquesa Von Dushva, uh, who is actually in the gold medal match now is a fantastic player French Open finalist in 2019 and just an incredibly sort of difficult and tricky player so really just a, a kind of a perfect storm of factors that that made Osaka I think vulnerable to an inspired opponent and an opponent who played a fantastic match.
0: That's uh, very interesting because of course anyone can anyone can lose to anybody on the day and uh, so it could well be the case that 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 was just unfortunate I guess but for, for Naomi herself for for Japan and for and for the games in general that that happened. But these things can happen. Sport is sport. You never know who's going to win. Otherwise, there'll be no point turning up to watch it.
2: A great example of that point that anyone can lose to anybody. Novak Djokovic, who was on a 22-match winning streak, was on course for the Golden Slam, was everybody's absolutely overwhelming favourite for a gold medal, has just suffered a shock defeat in the semi semi-finals So, you know, anything can happen. That's That's why you lace up your shoes, I guess.
0: Wow, absolutely. Coming on to Simone Biles, what went wrong with Simone Biles? What did she just actually make one bad move with with that one with that one exercise, or is there more to this? And, and and do we know what the reaction has been in the United States to, to this story?
4: I'll address the, the the first part of the question first. Um, do we know what's going on? I think there is something specific that's going on with uh, Simone Biles. She talked about um, experiencing something called the twisties. So in gymnastics, it's basically when you get lost in the middle of a move. So it's similar to the yips in golf. I don't know if people have heard of that, where a a movement that's normally pretty automatic because it's being practiced and practiced and practiced. uh, Suddenly something in your brain just kind of won't let you do that movement anymore so she talked about getting lost in the air in in the middle of one of her skills now if you're a golfer for example and you experience a performance block like this where you can no longer swing a golf club properly the worst thing that's going to happen is that you just miss hit the golf ball and it flies off somewhere and you have a bad round or, or, or whatever obviously there's you know, a little bit of anxiety and maybe panic, and 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 uh, sometimes even depression that can come with experiencing this. But the worst thing that's going to happen is you're not going to be able to play golf very well. If you experience that when you are in midair doing multiple somersaults and flips, and all of a sudden you don't know where the ground is, that can be really, really dangerous. Like really dangerous. So. She, she's talked about experiencing this, and I think that, that that this is what's going on. And withdrawing from competition, if you are getting lost in the air doing gymnastics, it was the only sensible decision to make um, for her own health, uh, for her own safety. Um I I think the reaction in America has been very much to the reaction over here. Uh, There's been a lot of criticism of her, uh, saying that she's quit under the pressure, um, that she's let people down. But there's also been a real outpouring of support. I think the criticism comes from people who really don't understand what's happening. who don't understand what it takes to to perform at that level. But there's also been an outpouring of support and understanding, which has been really, um, really nice to
0: see. Yeah, i can understand that in that particular exercise uh, if you do get something like you say like the yips in golf or what, whatever then it can be a lot more dangerous than just missing missing your swing and hitting the golf ball in the wrong direction mm. it's one it's just one shot and one shot on your on your scorecard this is everything was it just do you think this it was just unfortunate and Was she concerned that it might happen again, even though it might never have ever happened again? Or was there something deeper here that made it happen, that might have made it happen again?
4: Well, I I think it's not necessarily just a one-off thing. Once you experience a performance block, it's something that kind of sticks for a while until it's resolved. Um, I I think we really underestimate the stress and the pressure that these athletes are under. We tend to not see them as, as human. We see them as kind of superhuman and impervious to stress. But if you think of what Simone Biles has been through, first of all, she's got the... An incredible pressure and expectation of being the world's best. Everybody wants to see her perform. She walked into this Olympics being the favorite to take home multiple gold medals. Um, if you look at the history of what she's been through as well as a whole culture of uh, USA gymnastics, uh, the, the culture of abuse with Larry Nassar, she's talked openly about that, about being a victim of that abuse. Um, and all, all of this can culminate and, and let's not forget, she's human as well. She's been through all of that pressure, plus the pressure that all the rest of us have been through. Like I said, we're 15 months into a global pandemic. You know, That's, that's stress and pressure in itself. So I think the culmination of all of that um, is perhaps something that may have triggered this. I'm, I'm speculating because I don't know. I haven't spoken to her. Um, but it's something that can cause something like this to, to, to come up. Uh, but like I say, it's not kind of a, a one-off. This just happens and then it goes away. It's like this will stick with you until it's until it's resolved in some way uh,
0: so I mean is, is there any similarity that would say a footballer who 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 misses a penalty in a vital shootout and, and then does it again and then and then you know has maybe a problem wanting to take a penalty in the future thinking it might it might happen on another occasion is that is I
4: mean, that I, and- yeah I mean th- th- there's some similarity, but I think when, <laughs> when we're talking about performance blocks here it's a real specific, uh, syndrome or condition, um, where you imagine you have like a set of instructions in your brain for how to carry out a particular movement. And somebody comes along and moves that set of instructions. Now they're still there, but for some reason you just can't access them. You can't find them. So you physically are incapable of, of, uh, of, of carrying out that movement. Um, and that's what Simone Biles is experiencing, or that's what she's talked about anyway. If you are a, you know, taking a penalty and you miss one, and you have some anxiety about that, and then you miss maybe another one, and you get a little bit anxious about in that scenario, that's slightly different. You're still capable of taking the penalty. It's just the anxiety that's perhaps um, making you underperform or contributing to your underperformance.
0: Or Emma Raducanu in, in the in the in the in the the, the match at Wimbledon when. She had to stop. I mean, H- Hannah, as a tennis reporter, uh, and listening to what Peter's saying, do you see any similarities there with what ha- happened to Emma Raducanu on that on that evening?
2: I absolutely do, very much. Um, and I, I thought what Peter was saying was really insightful. Um, I think that what people part of the part I think part I think is the confusion that comes when we talk about um, mental health as opposed to physical injury. Um, is the way that mental health issues uh, kind of manifest and manifest in the body and what happened to Emma Raducanu was she was in a situation she'd never been in in her life she kind of pushed herself physically that um, physically mentally and emotionally um, further than she'd ever been pushed before because there is no way to prepare for the experience of Of taking that step up of playing players so much better than any she'd ever played before there's no way to prepare for that there's no way to learn how to do that other than simply doing it um and kind of what happened to her was that she had just pushed herself physically and emotionally like so far beyond what she'd ever done before that her her body essentially kind of seized up that that link, that muscle memory that kind of keeps you doing these things that you've done many, many times before these particular movements and actions uh, kind of severed. She stro- she started struggling to breathe. And then that in itself, the experience of starting to struggle, of starting to struggle to breathe becomes makes you panic and you begin to hyperventilate And yeah. it's something that I think is familiar to to anybody who's ever experienced anxiety. Similarly, the response to it was there were a lot of people saying, you know, oh, this proves she can't handle the pressure. No, it doesn't really prove anything. It's just something that happened um, to her in an unprecedented yeah. situation, and um, that there's every that uh, you know there's every possibility that will never happen to her again.
0: Well, let's hope so. Let's bring Alex in and, and then David. Al- Alex, w- w- what's your take on what what you've been hearing from, especially from
1: Peter? Funnily enough, yesterday I also spoke to a, a sports psychologist about the case of uh, Simone Biles and more generally what's going on in across sports because it does seem to be this wave of withdrawals that signals some sort of sea change uh, in sports. And I, I think it is a combination of factors, and I totally agree uh, with what Peter said about the kind of twisties, if you want to call it that specifically, Gymnastics is a very high risk sport. And I've seen some mobiles call, called selfish uh, for pulling out and letting her teammates down. But honestly, if she is going to seriously injure herself, making one of those movements is damaging for her, obviously, and it's damaging for the team. So uh, almost the most selfless thing you can do is to pull out if you don't think you're doing that. But getting away from sports, we've all seen issues of burnout in our working lives during the pandemic. Um, and I think it's it would be ridiculous to think that sports people are immune from that as well. Well, a lot of the people,
0: you know, being the most critical of her would probably be the people that would, you know, most struggle were they ever to find themselves in in any similar situation. I'm pretty sure of that. Dave, David, what what do you think? And and do, do we is is it the intention that she's withdrawn from the games completely now, or do we think that she's she's going to compete in the in the in the next event? Uh, well, that, um, I'm not sure. I mean, we saw her pulling
3: out of the the individual all around, um, as well as the, the team competition, and she's got apparatus finals to come over the weekend. You wonder whether whatever issues that she is experiencing will be resolved by then. Perhaps, perhaps the difference between the apparatus finals and the individual all around is that, you know, you've got to concentrate and, and make sure that you pull off all of your moves in the same day for the individual all around, as well as the team final. Whereas for the apparatus finals, it's one at a time. And perhaps she can work through one by one with these apparatus finals. Um, But more broadly, I think Simone Biles, um, she has to be absolutely applauded for her courage because the easiest thing that she could have done for herself was to perhaps grip her ankle when she came off that ball and said, I'm physically injured. And no one would be talking about her today if that was the case, everyone would have just said, OK, fine, it's a physical injury. These things happen in sport. But to actually come out and be so honest and make herself so vulnerable, I suppose, to the world who is watching her in this Olympic stage is incredibly uh, brave and, and can only, you know, it can only shine a light on on these issues that, as, as you say, people who are removed from that environment and, and those pressures don't understand and
0: can't understand. Peter, are we going to see more of this kind of thing then? Of uh,
4: athletes withdrawing for, for mental yeah, health issues or of, yes, a, of kind in of general, athletes talking about mental health?
0: Yeah, in, in general, will we see more more athletes withdrawing from events for, for mental health issues? Is it something we haven't experienced in the past? Maybe it's been swept under under the carpet, but now it's out in the open. Is it something which is going to just become more, more and more apparent? Well, I, I think what's really
4: interesting is the, the narrative that, that people like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles are brave and courageous for, for talking about the mental health issues and for, for making those decisions. And, and in a lot of ways, they are. They're absolutely brave to do that. But I think we have to also talk about the context in which they are brave. Because it's only bravery, because of this this context of uh, pressure and expectations, win, of all co- win at all costs culture that we, the fans, the media, the sport organisations themselves have created. Uh, we've warped this idea. So a couple of sociologists, uh, Robert Hughes and Jay Coakley, back in the 90s, they talked about this thing called the sport ethic. And this is the idea that athletes have to push through pain. They have to make sacrifices. uh, They have to push through emotional uh, pain as well. And, uh, of course, if you're going to make it to the elite level, you have to push through and you have to make uh, sacrifices along the way. If you want to be the best in the world, you have to do that. But what we've done is we've taken this idea and we've warped it into – the idea that athletes have to be superhuman they have to be completely invulnerable to stress and to pressure that winning is the most important thing um, and we pile on this pressure and, and and again the media that talk about how brave it is for it to uh, be talking about mental health issues are the same people that have piled on this pressure and created this culture uh, where what she's done, which is a perfectly sensible, normal decision, like we've talked about, is seen as something that's, that's that's really brave all of a sudden. So I don't think we can talk about that without also talking about the culture that's created it. Um, in terms of are we going to see more of it? I, I hope so. Uh, I think that Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, two young black female athletes leading the way, I think is absolutely fantastic to, to see this, and I hope that it inspires other athletes and other people as well, to say actually, you know, this 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 pressure is intense. I need to break from it in order to look after my own mental health. Um, so I hope that we will see more of it, and I hope that we can see this culture that we've created, and the media can see this culture that they've created for exactly what it is.
0: Right, that very very interesting. Moving on, what are we looking forward to? What's going to be the real highlights of the next week or so Hannah what's exciting you that's going to make you you know make an appointment to view in, in the coming days
2: well uh obviously as a, as someone who um works in tennis I have to say the the goals, the medal matches for the men's and women's tennis singles and doubles are tomorrow morning and I'm so excited uh, to see those but then also the um the indoor track cycling gets going pretty soon. I'm very excited to see whether Laura Kenny is going to be able to add to her extraordinary hall of gold medals. Um, And of course, the track and field starts uh, starts tomorrow, I think, Um, and just on a personal level, I am absolutely so excited to watch um, Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price go in the 100 meters. Uh, I think that's gonna be absolutely intriguing.
0: And yeah, now you're highlighting some great events there. Who do you think is going to win the two the two medals in, in the tennis stand?
2: Well, having just seen this huge upset of Novak Djokovic, who was absolutely everybody's nailed-on favourite to win the goals, um, it's now going to be Alexander Zverev against Karen Hachinov in the men's singles. And you would have to give um, Alexander Zverev of Germany the, the advantage in that one. Um, in the women's final, it's... Marketa Vondrousova of the Czech Republic, who knocked out Naomi Osaka against Belinda Bencic of Switzerland, and Bencic has had a has had a fantastic week. They both have, but Vondrousova is playing just some amazing tennis. Um, she's a, a tricky lefty, full of variety, and I think she's going to take the gold.
0: Okay, great. Let's just see what will happen then, David. What are you particularly looking forward to as as things really hot up? Yeah, well, the
3: track and field started today in Tokyo, didn't it? And um... I'm really looking forward to the 100 and 200 meters, actually, um, and f- for the first time perhaps in many Olympic Games, um, I think most people would say, certainly in, in this country, that we're looking forward to the women's events, which is really, pop- uh, really sort of positive because until now it's all been about Usain Bolt and Justin Gatlin and and guys like that. They are not here, and now we are focusing on our potential medal um, victories, such as Dean Asher Smith and. When you talk about pressure, I wonder what that young lady is going through right now. Because if anyone's had a spotlight shone on her over the last year, two years, uh, it, it's herself. I just hope that she is um, in, a, in a good place and can cocoon herself from, from all the chatter about how she could do in the 200 and, and especially the 200 and the 100 as well. Um, but I, I really hope that she can win a medal, if not gold, which would be fantastic. Um, elsewhere. I'm really looking forward to the um, the, the pool, the conclusion in the pool. How well can Adam Petey do? You know, he's got relays, he's got individuals to go. Could he win three gold medals? We, we, we'll see. But there's, there's certainly lots to look forward to. Um, and and the track cycling as well. You know, Laura Kenny, absolutely. Jason Kenny, he could also become Britain's most successful Olympian ever if he, you know, increases his, his, medal hall, his gold medal hall of six.
0: You're really wetting the appetite big time there, David. <laughs> what about you, Alex? What's, uh, what's
1: your highlight coming up? I think everyone's favourite event, or at least one of the yeah, major events in the calendar, yeah, is always 100 metres. And I think that will be really interesting life after Usain Bolt to see who kind of takes up that mantle. What
0: about you, Peter? Hopefully no, no more serious issues off the track, but on the track, what are you, what are you looking forward to?
4: Um, I, I agree with uh, with David. I'm very much looking forward to the athletics. Uh, really looking forward to seeing what Dean or Smith can do. Um, and yeah, the track cycling as well. I'm always, also a big fan of the track cycling. We've got some metal hopes in there, in there as well. Um, I, I, I'm a basketball fan. That's been slightly disappointing so far. I think partly because you know we talked earlier about the coverage. Partly because I've not been able to watch very much of it. But I think that's very much one of those sports where the crowd makes it the crowd makes an atmosphere and obviously we've, we've been deprived of that a little bit but um, yeah very much looking forward to the to, to the athletics it's kind of the flagship event really isn't it of the Olympics the, the once the athletics get started
0: yeah it really is it's almost like the blue Ribbon event the especially things like the 1500 meters and the, and the sprints and the, the relays and that is really you know it, it really really does sum up the Olympics although the Olympics is an, an awful lot more than that. Well, how are we doing as, uh, so far as Team GB then? Marks out of 10 and where do you think we'll end up? Quick responses, Hannah.
2: Gosh, marks out of 10. Um, I mean, for Tom Daly alone, Adam Peaty, Tom Dean, and Scott, um, Bethany Shriever we saw today, uh, I'm going to say eight. Uh, I think the the rowing's clearly been quite disappointing. Um, and, there, and what's also disappointing is that there seems to be kind of, you know, recriminations flying thick and fast about what's happened there. But, um, I mean, we've seen just people across sports that um, we don't normally necessarily watch very much of, like BMX kind of coming up with these fantastic stories and these brilliant efforts. Um, yeah, I'm going to say eight out of ten, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what they do for the rest of it.
0: OK, so 8 out of 10 with the potential to go up to 9 or even 10. Alex, do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a strange game. It wasn't nailed on that it was even going to happen. So the fact that these athletes have turn, just turned up at all and performed at such a high level is astonishing. There's been many great stories like Tom Daley um, and Tom Dean that really sums up, I think, what the potential of these games can be about.
0: Yeah, so we, we're doing pretty well. So far, so good with hopefully one of the big stars of the track and field will will bring home one of the really big ones. That's where I think we're at. David, Peter, you agree with that? I would. I would. I
3: think that it's been a great start. And in fact, I think a couple of days ago, people were talking about it's the best of our to games. And uh, I think as we speak, we're on 24 medals in total. And I think the, the target that UK sports set is, fairly broad one, I think, because of the impact of, of pandemic, you know, training, etc. It's forty-five to seventy medals. So we're we're kind of halfway there, if not more than halfway there, and we're less than halfway through the games. And we've had some quite nice, um, surprising medals, I think, from from my perspective anyway. We mentioned the BMX, Tom Pidcock, who probably not a lot of people had heard of too much before the games winning gold in the mountain bike, and um Bryony Page again um, backing up her. Success in Rio with another medal today, bronze in the in the trampolining. So um, yeah, I think we're in a very good place going into the last week. Great, and Peter, last
0: word with from you.
4: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think at one point British people called Tom were eighth in the medal table. So you know, if that's any any anything to go by, I think we're doing okay. This has been some absolutely fantastic results so far, and and, and like everybody said, looking forward to seeing what comes in the in the second second week.
0: Great. Well, what a fantastic conversation and so much to look forward to. I think we've nailed it. Right on the Nail with Chris Wright. You've been listening to Right on the Nail with me, Chris Wright. Thank you to my guests, Hannah, Peter, David and Alex for a brilliant conversation. And thank you to you for tuning in. Tweet us at Right on the Nail with any suggestions or feedback. And if you enjoyed the show, please share a link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, rightonthenail.fm. And remember, there's a new episode every single Friday. So catch you next time on Right on the Nail.
4: Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com.